Greetings, patriots. This is Perry Green with God in America. Today, we're going to wind up our brief study of Habakkuk with Woe to Wow, Part 5. The title is, Even If You Don't. There's a challenge to faithfulness even when things don't go our way. It's one thing to be faithful to God when life lines up for us and everything seems to be falling into place. It's another thing to be faithful when things don't go our way, in fact, when they seem like things are falling apart. Habakkuk has been prophesying about how bad Judah had become and wondering why God allowed it. Then God told him of his plan to use the Babylonians to set Judah straight. At first, Habakkuk could only wonder why God would use a people worse than Judah to discipline them. As the book unfolds and then comes to an end, the prophet begins to settle out where he should have been all along. That is the same place we need to be. We need God. We do not need to be seeking the good things he can provide, but seeking God himself. Notice the prophet's thoughts in Habakkuk 3, verses 16 through 19. He said, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. David Barton wrote a lengthy article about the background and commemoration of the Boston Massacre in the Founders Bible. Note some of the issues of their day. First, the rise of King George III brought in colonial micromanagement by the monarchy. The king appointed tyrannical governors who began limiting freedoms. Does this sound familiar? During the recent pandemic, certain states went overboard in limiting freedoms. Too many of we the people gave in to the tyranny. Churches and businesses were closed at the whim of puppet governors. Second, religious freedom was threatened. The king wanted to appoint an Anglican bishop over America, forcing all of the colonies into the Church of England or be guilty of treason. They'd be forced to pay a clergy tax to support Anglican ministers even if they weren't Anglican. Again, how many churches were attacked under the recent scam? How many were fined? How many pastors were jailed or threatened with jail? I understand that many court cases are being won by churches that were bold enough to challenge the governmental powers and practice their First Amendment rights. Third, the king's response to the colonial pushback was to send 4,000 seasoned troops to Boston to intimidate and censor the people. In our day, those in control have been sending troops, like Hitler's brown shirts, in the form of Antifa and BLM. It certainly looked dire for the colonists as the British troops descended on Boston. Too many of our cities have been gutted by such evil troops. So what do we do in our world of good versus evil, especially when evil seems to be winning? The bottom line is to not only trust God, but to joyously trust Him. That is often hard for us when we can't see the end. One of my favorite stories of the American Revolution involves Benjamin Rush and John Adams. Rush tells us, Upon my return from the army to Baltimore in the winter of 1777, I sat next to John Adams in Congress, and upon my whispering to him and asking him if he thought we could succeed in our struggle with Great Britain, he answered me, Yes, if we fear God and repent of our sins. Their reliance was on God, not the military, 
not international aid, not in their political skills. We trust and rejoice in God's wisdom. He's infinitely wiser than we. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How often do we think we're wiser than God? How often do we think we can figure it out only to fail and flail? At some point, we must get back to trusting God in His wisdom to do what's best for us. Next, we trust and rejoice in God's love. The 19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon reminds us of the great love of God. He said, The Lord Jesus has paid too high a price for our redemption to leave us in the enemy's hand. Scripture abounds in the love of God. John 3.16, Romans 5.8, Galatians 2.20, and many other passages point this out. While God always loves us, that love is not always pleasant and fun. Sometimes it demands discipline, yet God paid such a high price for each of us out of His love for us that He's not willing to let us go easily. Then we must trust and rejoice in God's guidance. We need outside help more often than not. As Habakkuk's contemporary observed in Jeremiah 10 verse 23, Jeremiah the prophet said, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. I'm sure you use a GPS device of some sort in your vehicle when you don't know the way. God intends to guide our steps. We must rely on that guidance, even if things don't work out like we may hope. Even when things don't work out like we want, we can trust God. He always has our best interests in mind. We may not always see or understand Him, but we can always trust Him. Even more, we can rejoice in Him always. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice? Well, as we close, I want to encourage you to keep the light of trustful rejoicing burning.